Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a cliche truism that any time a sympathetic victim disappears or is killed, they're beatified by the press and the public. So-and-so was innocent and kind. They loved animals. They smiled all the time. The angelic aura descends. They are good. And our villains? Quiet, angry, a loner, a weirdo. They wore black. And there's always that one neighbor who just knew something was off. What we choose to remember about someone, especially someone we don't personally know, often depends more on the circumstances of their death or disappearance than on who they actually were. That bipolar framework, good versus evil, flattens the missing and the dead into two-dimensional caricatures, robbing them of context. With this case, you might ask, well, why dig into Sneha's life? I get it. But who she was, she was. A hero, a victim, a dichotomy. Aren't we all? In the absence of evidence, what's most important to me is that Sneha is missing, not was, is. 
If there's a non-9-11 explanation for her disappearance, which is possible, it's a disservice to write her off as a saint. Boom, case closed. I think it's important to look at Sneha, to really look at her, not for the sake of sensationalism, not to judge her, to understand her, to understand why alternative explanations make sense, or to rule them out. From iHeartRadio, this is Missing on 9-11, the story of one woman who vanished on the eve of history and my quest to find her. I'm your host, John Walzak. The speculation about Sneha's sexuality, about her love life, started when her younger brother John told NYPD Detective Richard Stark that shortly before 9-11, he walked in on Sneha having sex with his girlfriend. John later denied telling that to Stark. In fact, he denied even speaking to Stark, ever. Stark laughed when I told him this. Why would he make it up? When that accusation became public, tabloids ran wild with headlines like 9-11 Trist Twist. Was Sneha bisexual? Was she a lesbian? Was she having affairs? People close to Sneha confirmed to me that she did have relationships with both men and women, and she did have affairs. At first, I thought Ron and Sneha had some kind of open marriage, but no, Ron wasn't cool with it. As for Sneha's sexuality, who cares? I don't know how she identified, so I'm not going to label her. End of story. But the state of her marriage? Well, yeah, that matters. Because nobody knows where Sneha stayed the night of September 10th, with whom, or why she didn't tell anyone where she was going. To piece together her final hours, if she died, we need to answer those questions. Earlier this year, I interviewed one of Sneha's former supervisors, a doctor who agreed to speak with me on the condition that I refer to her only as Dr. E. Dr. E met Sneha in 2000 at Cabrini Medical Center in Manhattan. Sneha was extremely brilliant, she said, charming and manipulative, someone who seemed to have problems with both mental illness and substance abuse. Dr. E speculated that Sneha was bipolar repeatedly describing her as, quote, hypersexual. She said that Sneha tried to sleep with both her and her ex-husband. Sneha was artistic and an excellent writer. Dr. E liked Sneha. She described her as, quote, like a stoner. According to Dr. E, Sneha was not the doctor type. She didn't want to be a doctor. Dr. E said that at least once, Sneha showed up to work intoxicated She described her as a bingeaholic. She also said, and this is something I heard from many other people, that Sneha could be, quote, off, not appropriate, and vulgar, that she casually and frequently used words like pussy in inappropriate situations. To Dr. E, it seemed that Sneha was unhappy, that she was trying to escape something. She seemed troubled uh, during her time with me. She just seemed troubled, unhappy at times. 
you know, a little bit of a loner, I would say. What was um, her personality like? Like, if, you, if she were to walk into the room and start speaking with you, what was uh, she like? Out, it? Um, outspoken, sometimes using curse words, you know, a little outspoken. Sometimes uh, you get the feeling that it was for shock value. So can you describe her to me physically? Uh, beautiful. Uh, Indian, petite, dark, shiny hair, uh, glossy, light, dark skinned. <laughs> And so, and you say intelligent, um, extreme intelligence, not that it was always used in the course of her work day, um, because she wasn't always, uh, into her work is the feeling that I got. What do you mean by that? She would show up, um, not prepared to work is what I would say. Not prepared to work and didn't do her homework in order to do her work. Did you get the feeling that she wanted to be a doctor? Absolutely not. She did not, and actually she'd voiced it to me on many occasions, kind of felt pushed into it. Um, maybe there's some other social pressures, um, family pressures, I'm not sure, but she kind of felt pushed into it and didn't feel it was a good fit for her. She's more on the artistic side. You say artistic side. Was she into painting, writing? What was she into? Uh, writing, beautifully writing, also drawing, sketching, things like that. Did she ever make you any art? Uh, she didn't make me art, but she was very generous in the fact that I'm not a good writer. So she volunteered, invited me to her apartment to um, help me with one of a writing assignment that I needed uh, for a type of application. So did she edit for you? or? Well, I basically told her what I wanted to say. And the way that she had of writing, it was a very poetic, you know, almost like prose. Did she tell you at any point that she was thinking about quitting medicine? The feeling I got, and then in addition to the things she'd say about I don't want to be here, uh, gave me the idea that uh, she wishes there were a way out, but kind of feeling trapped. And she was like, I don't want to be here. So it was almost like I understood it as she's feeling trapped for whatever reason. Um, what do you think happened to her? It's my opinion. It's always been my opinion since I heard about 9-11 and I, I'd seen some documentary on television. And I thought, oh, she finally got what she wanted. She got away. I feel like she was unhappy in her marriage. Just that was my opinion based on her actions. And um, I felt like she's the type of person that was so, so incredibly smart that if she wanted something to happen, she could make it happen. So... Um, I don't feel like she was a victim of 9-11, but that's just my opinion. I feel like she may be alive somewhere. You think she had the intelligence and, to just pull something like that off on the 100%, spot? 100%. And how, then some. How many people have you met in your life that you would say had that kind of ability? Because you're, you're smart. You're a doctor. You I would say maybe people. three. And she was one of the three. Right. Like a genius mind, you know? I, I guess I, to, to kind of dig a little bit into that, when you say a genius mind or really intelligent, again, you know, I'm going to say all doctors are intelligent, but obviously you're around a lot of intelligent, smart people. Oh, very different when I say intelligence. And I also say, like, socially, she could read the room. She could read people. Um, I feel like when a person can read people, you're able to manipulate them if you want to. So, uh Yes, the ability to get things done that she wanted done. Very persuasive. 
Did you know her as a friend or was it purely professional? Uh, both. Like, I wouldn't say friend-friend, but acquaintance. I mean, she was a very kind person. She was uh, nice to me, generous. Um, but uh, we didn't spend much time together outside the office, so to speak. But the time we did spend, it was nice. Did she have a lot of friends? I Like I had said earlier, um, a bit of a loner. Um, I know she was married, so sometimes doctors in residency don't hang out with other residents as much if they're married. So you didn't know, like, any anyone that you guys mutually knew was, like, a close friend of hers or... No. I really, if you asked me to name her best friend, I wouldn't have a clue. So what was she like at work? As a resident, what were her duties and what? how good was she at her job? I feel like she was efficient and she got her job done, but it was in a troubled way, in my opinion, because sometimes, like I said, she would show up to work not prepared, but she was always able to do what she wanted to do in a quick amount of time. So other doctors make all take all day to get it done, and she'd be in and out. She was efficient when she wanted to be. When you say not prepared, what did you personally witness? Uh, I witnessed alcohol in her breath on one occasion and had to send her home. Only one time? That occasion was regarding alcohol. Other occasions were uh, just really ill-prepared. Um, did you get the feeling or did you have knowledge that she dealt with mental illness and or sustained substance abuse? Uh, I believe that there could have been some besides the alcohol. I don't have any proof of that. Do you, did you get the feeling that she was happy at Cabrini? No. No, like I said earlier, definitely not. And it became more obvious as the year went on. You know, it's early in the beginning, everybody's kind of excited. And it uh, became very obvious that she would either show up late or she would show up with alcohol on her breath that one time. But that was on the time I witnessed. I don't know. I know there were of other issues, like in an academic nature and also... Um, inappropriate behavior that, you know, the chief residents were called, I'm aware of, but I don't have the details, just inappropriate behavior towards attending staff, like male attending staff. I know that we were called uh, to also get involved. And when attending physician uh, felt very uncomfortable on at her advances, and we had to ask her to leave the office. Was that something that you saw repeatedly? So these were isolated incidents, but more than one. So I don't know, not, not multiple, you know, more than one. <laughs> so one of the allegations after she disappeared was that she was having affairs, that she was sleeping with men, sleeping with women. Um, did she ever confide in you or did you ever see anything to substantiate any of that? Well, I felt on one occasion that she was very sexual towards me in an inappropriate way for our relationship. And in addition, my uh, husband at the time also felt like she was being very sexual towards him on one occasion, and including one of his friends. So there were uh, a couple occasions where she was just completely inappropriate. Can you elaborate? What do you? Uh, it, just what we witnessed. You know, what we witnessed our time with her. Like I said, just being uh, sexual or making sexual advances towards married men and and other. Towards you, towards your ex-husband, what specifically, though, are you comfortable saying? Or 
Uh, he did not go into detail, but he was very upset about it. And towards you? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather not to say. Okay. See, so you, your gut feeling is that she is alive. Uh, absolutely. Like, I don't, I just, uh, maybe there's a tiny part left that I think maybe she's not, and it would be really unfortunate. Uh, she was a talent. Um, but I, just knowing her personality, I came to that conclusion. If she is somehow magically out there listening to this, what would you tell her? I hope she's happy. That's what I would tell her. I hope she's happy. It really blew me away that Dr. E, a logical, intelligent person who knew Sneha, who supervised her, thinks she's alive. She's not alone. Every single person I interviewed, and I mean every person, who knew Sneha personally, except her family, told me they don't think 9-11 is the answer. They blame either foul play or they think she ran away and is alive. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In June of 2001, there was an incident where the police were called to a bar where Sneha and um, one of your colleagues uh, were out with a group from Cabrini. Were you there at that time? I was not, no. I just, I'm aware of the incident, though. And so the allegation that Sneha made was that your colleague assaulted her, and then she recanted that allegation. Obviously, I wasn't there, so I, I feel uncomfortable passing any kind of judgment whether or not it was true. But she recanted to the police, and then she was charged um, with making a false accusation. Do you have any doubt that the accusation was false? Do you believe at all? Do you believe the allegation that she made that she was assaulted by your colleague? No, I, I, don't, I just don't believe it because the person that she was accusing at the time was a per- close personal friend as well as colleague. So that being said, uh, knowing the personality types, what would be more apt to happen? Would I say that it was probably a false statement? On June 21st, 2001, only 82 days before 9-11, Sneha went out with coworkers to a bar near Cabrini. <laughs> At the bar, she said, one of her male supervisors followed her into a bathroom pushed himself onto her, and tried to kiss her. She said that she shoved the doctor away. Coincidentally, at the time, Sneha, the doctor, Ron, and the doctor's wife all lived in the same apartment building, a building for medical residents. They actually lived on the same floor. According to the NYPD, the night of the alleged assault, Sneha went back to the doctor's apartment, pushed open his door, sat on his couch, and refused to leave. The next day, after filing an official complaint, she allegedly called the doctor's wife three times, despite repeated requests that she stop calling. According to the NYPD, a few days after that, Sneha called the doctor five times at work. She said, and this is written in all caps in the report I obtained, 
Quote, if you don't want to speak to me, I'm going to fuck you up when I see you in the street. Finally, according to NYPD records, on June 26, 2001, five days after the alleged assault, Sneha recanted. She told a detective that, quote, she was not sexually abused. This is why I'm not naming the doctor Sneha accused of assault. I did reach out to him, but he did not respond to interview requests. Anyway, after Sneha recanted, she was charged with one count of second-degree criminal trespass, two counts of second-degree aggravated harassment, one count of third-degree assault, one count of third-degree falsely reporting an incident, and three counts of second-degree harassment. The NYPD arrested Sneha. She spent one night in jail. This is when Ron and Sneha hired attorney Mark Freiberg. This is why Sneha was in criminal court on the morning of September 10th, 2001, hours before she disappeared. Did Sneha have any enemies? I don't know of any. I, I wouldn't know. But nobody from any kind of advances or anything that happened at the with anybody at Cabrini who would have... I mean, for example, like, would your colleague who she accused could be considered an enemy, right? No, I, no, I wouldn't. Uh, he's the type of person that, you know, is above law. I mean, not above law, is um, by the law. And um, what I would say is he's kind of straight and narrow. That's what I mean, like, by the law, not above the law. Um, and so I feel like once it's something is resolved that he would move on because he was more career-oriented than... Did he tell you, did, did he describe what happened? Did he, was he really upset at the whole thing? I did not get the details. I, I just remember him confiding in me that he had these allegations against him. Sneha's husband, Ron, later said she was miserable at Cabrini. In May 2001, Cabrini let her contract expire. Technically, she wasn't fired. But for all intents and purposes, she was. One of the things that... Uh, Sneha and Ron said after Sneha left Cabrini was that there was an issue of racism and sexism at Cabrini, that it was very much a, a male-dominated place, and that they felt, in part, that her contract was not renewed um, out of a sense of racism towards her and possibly a sense of sexism. Did you, did you see that? Do you, do you think there's any legitimacy to that claim? I can't think of anything further from the truth. Uh, I actually recall, first of all, I think there were two female chief residents and one male, so that's not male-dominated. And then also uh, the residency staff included a vast array you know, of different uh, cultures and uh, different races. Um, I remember this one instance after 9-11, and there was a guy from Afghanistan, and the staff just enveloped him and hugged him and baked cookies for him and, you know, <laughs> just absolutely the opposite. You know, there were so many different races, a lot of Hispanics, though, uh, people from Puerto Rico as well. Um, I, I cannot remember. And also, I, I was kind of in awe of that at this place. It was very cohesive. People just kind of rallied around each other. And you didn't see the clicks that I'd seen in other either groups or offices or hospitals. And you might see like, you know, this group stays together, this nationality stays together. It was completely the opposite. So you uh, working there as a woman and in a supervisory capacity, you didn't have any issues? None. 
Did you ever meet her husband, Ron? Just a couple times, like very briefly. Like I couldn't really comment much on him except for his appearance, kind of a little bit shy. (laughs) So she seemed very outgoing and cool and he was kind of what, quiet? Quiet, shy, um, maybe a little nerdy to me. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) Smart. Did Sneha ever confide anything else in you? Did she talk about her family? Did she, do you, I know it's been 20 years and, and it's, it's been a while now, but do you have any clear memories? I just remember her confiding in me about not being happy in her current position, uh, feeling pressured, whether there was pressure or not from her family, but feeling pressured to become a doctor and then realizing she didn't really want to become one uh, is what she confided in me. Also about in her marriage, she just, she wasn't that happy. I didn't get many details, uh, just not feeling like that was maybe the one. <laughs> Did she ever tell you that she was thinking about leaving or running off? No, so she never did um, give me any future plans, but I did see an increase in um, irregular behavior, inappropriate behavior. So it was like from zero and then just kept increasing over the last few months before she left. Uh, Like a person, you might call a person who's um, a little bit chaotic or maybe not have everything together. Um, It was getting worse. In the middle of our interview, Dr. E pulled out her cell phone, dialed her ex-husband, and put him on speaker. I asked him about Sneha. His description was so similar to Dr. E's that I suspected they spoke before I got there. But he said they didn't. He spoke freely, but didn't want his voice to appear on the show. So we're using an actor. She was a pretty girl. I think she was trying to escape the life that she had. I don't think she was happy with her life at that point. Meaning, not that she would take her life, but almost like someone who's forced to do something. Like maybe become a doctor and married and just wasn't happy in everything that was going on in her world. At the time, he and Dr. E lived in an apartment building across the street from Ron and Sneha. He said repeatedly that Sneha seemed unhappy. I've always worked in sales my whole life and am very much a people person. And I read that right away on her. I just remember her not being happy with her life. And I know she disappeared. I'm not saying that she, I don't think she would take her life. She wasn't that type of unhappy. More, she just wanted to change her life. She wanted to change, a big change, a major change. And? Do I think she was suicidal or anything like that because she was unhappy? Absolutely not. I think she loved life. She just wasn't happy with the type of work, just her whole situation at that point in her life, in that time frame. I kind of thought when she disappeared, I thought maybe she had done that on purpose because it was a way out. The last time he and Dr. E saw Sneha, was around May 2001, when Sneha's contract at Cabrini ended. After Cabrini, Sneha got a job at St. Vincent's Medical Center on Staten Island, where she worked for only 10 weeks before 9-11. According to retired NYPD detective Richard Stark, Sneha struggled there, too. By 9-11, he said, she was on modified duty. This is yet another point of contention between Sneha's family and the NYPD. Ron said that Sneha was happy at St. Vincent's. Everything was fine. As to her mental health, he testified that she was not depressed. But he also testified that Sneha was seeing a therapist. 
And on September 14, 2001, when he filed a complaint with the NYPD, Ron immediately noted that Sneha was taking depression medication and that she was a victim of sexual assault, indicating he was worried about her mental state. Later, he testified that, right after 9-11, he looked for Sneha in psychiatric institutions because, quote, maybe she saw something that just damaged her mind. On the other hand, Ken Gallant, Ron's private investigator, testified that he found, quote, no information that Miss Phillip was depressed or upset. It's hard, maybe even impossible, to reconcile these statements. Sneha was happy. She was seeing a therapist. She was in a good place, mentally. She was on depression meds. She was not suicidal. But her husband searched for her in psychiatric hospitals, worried that she saw something, 9-11, that made her snap. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. By Ron's own account, Sneha was dealing with depression, she was seeing a therapist, and she was taking medication. And Ron was concerned enough about Sneha's mental state that he looked for her in psychiatric hospitals. At the beginning of this show, I said there are four possible logical explanations as to what may have happened to Sneha. 9-11, murder, suicide, that she ran off. In my opinion, only one can be written off right away suicide. It makes no sense to me or anyone I interviewed. Sneha very well may have been depressed, but I mean, so are a bazillion other people. Let's say she did die by suicide. Well, where is her body? She lived in Manhattan. Maybe you're thinking she just jumped off a bridge into a river, the Hudson or the East, but that makes no sense because again, her body was never found. And the bodies of people who die by jumping off of bridges in New York typically are found. I asked Detective Stark if he thinks anything other than 9-11, including suicide, makes any sense. Today, do you think there's a possibility that there's possibly an alternate explanation other than 9-11? Do you think there's any possibility of suicide foul play or that she ran off? Or do you feel personally satisfied with 9-11 as the, as the most likely answer? I feel personally satisfied with 9-11 because she would have turned up by now. Her DNA, if she was found in the river, which, which is, you know, if she went in the river, she definitely would have been found. Think about what we know. Sneha spent the afternoon of 9-10, the day she disappeared, repotting orchids, cleaning her apartment, and talking to her mom via instant messenger. Then she went to a department store After that, what? She jumped off a bridge and was never found? I don't think so. So again, in my opinion, out of the four possible explanations about what could have happened to Sneha, suicide is the easiest to rule out. 
September 7th, 2001, the Friday before 9-11, Sneha's mom, Ansu, visits her at her apartment near the World Trade Center. Ron has to work, so Sneha and Ansu hang out all night. They have Chinese food, walk around Battery Park, and watch the 1996 movie, The Portrait of a Lady. I shall probably never marry. You call marrying giving up? It's getting a great deal, but it's giving up other chances. Chances for what? The usual chances and dangers. In the movie, Isabel Archer, played by the ever-luminescent Nicole Kidman, ends up in a bad marriage with a man in Florence, Italy. Coincidentally, Florence is where Sneha lived in the 90s when she took time off from med school to paint. It's also where Ron proposed to her and it's where she dreamed of living. In The Portrait of a Lady, Isabel's cousin warns her, and I'm quoting Wikipedia here, that she's, quote, giving up her dreams to be in a cage with a worthless husband. In the end, Isabel flees her husband. Things are always different from what they might be. The Portrait of a Lady. Do you know where you're going, Isabel Archer? No, and I find it very pleasant not to know. After the movie, Sneha and Ansu go to sleep. The next morning, around 7 or 8 a.m., Ron gets home. Ansu sees him walk through the door. That day, Ron, Sneha, and Ansu talk for a while, then take another walk around Battery Park. Then Ansu goes home, and Ron and Sneha go to a party where Ron plays guitar. Sunday, September 9th, 48 hours until the world changes. Ron and Sneha rollerblade. They start cleaning their apartment, and Sneha uses an entire roll of film to photograph orchids. This is how Sneha's final weekend played out, the days leading up to 9-10 and 9-11. As to her state of mind that weekend, two people offered different opinions. Sneha's mom, Ansu, said that Sneha was in very good spirits, talking about kids and starting a family. But one of Sneha's friends, said that she was brooding, angry with the doctors at Cabrini. So like so much else, contradictions and no clarity. But even if Sneha was brooding and angry, suicide still does not make sense. There's no body. That's what this comes down to. So I think we can safely rule out suicide. What's harder to rule out is foul play. Next time on Missing on 9-11. Yeah, all options are open. That he possibly did something to her? That was, that was on the table, too, in the beginning. Homework. Did you see or speak with Sneha in the days leading up to 9-11? If so, you can reach us by phone at one eight three three new tips That's one 639 8477 Again, one 639 639-8477. Or you can reach us via email at tips at iheartmedia.com. That's tips, T-I-P-S, at iheartmedia.com. If you're having thoughts about suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. If you can, please donate to the Lifeline go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org slash donate. Also, in this episode, we discussed the conflict between Sneha, who said she was sexually assaulted, and the NYPD, who said she recanted. Studies show that sometimes sexual assault victims recant under pressure from law enforcement. 
Lacking additional information, I don't think it's my place to judge either Sneha or the NYPD, which is why I told you only what I know, what I found in official records. Ben Bowen is our executive producer. Paul Deccant is our supervising producer. Chris Brown is our assistant producer. Seth Nicholas Johnson is our producer. Sam Teagarden is our research assistant. And I'm your host and executive producer, John Walzak. Cover art by Pam Peacock. Special thanks to Tamika Campbell at iHeart and to Christoph Zappery in New Orleans. Also, thank you to Dr. E, her husband, Detective Richard Stark, and Aesop Rock. Original theme music by Aesop Rock. Check out Aesop's website at aesoprock.com. Dr. E's ex-husband, voiced by Chandler Mays. You can find me on Twitter at at John Walzak, J-O-N-W-A-L-C-Z-A-K. If you like this show, check out our first season, Missing in Alaska, about the 1972 disappearance of two congressmen. Missing on 9-11 is a co-production of iHeartRadio and Greenfort Media. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.